Welcome to Flip the Library, Gwinnett County Public Library podcast. I'm Steve Thomas, branch manager of our Collins Hill branch. And I'm Melissa Grimont, supervisory librarian at the Norcross branch. And today we are here with the LGBTQ plus team and we'll have everyone introduce themselves. I'm Mac Freeman, branch manager at the Swanee branch. Uh, my name is Amanda Eisman. I'm a library associate over at the Norcross branch. I'm Pete Fox. I'm an associate at the Lilburn branch. I'm Mark Woodard. I'm a library associate at the Snowville branch. I'm Drew Hill. I'm a supervisory librarian at the Decula branch. I'm Amy Eckland. I'm a collection development librarian here at headquarters. So we wanted to start off figuring out, before we talk about why you guys wanted to join the team in the first place, uh, what was the impetus behind starting the team and what's its mission? What were you people who started the team, what were you thinking was the issue that needed to be addressed? The team came about after a presentation at Staff Day 2018 that I gave about general services to LGBTQ plus customers. And a couple of members of leadership were in the audience, and the next day at their leadership meeting, they were talking about the service level that we provided to customers in this audience. And they thought that it would be a good idea to establish a group to take a look at where we were. Not necessarily that we had deficiencies or that anything was wrong or right, but just to really take a deep dive and explore what was going on. And so the general charge was to analyze all aspects of our service and to provide for recommendations that we could potentially implement to better serve this community or to acknowledge the work that we've already been doing. So why did um, all of you choose to join this team? Did anyone have a particular reaction when they first saw that call? I was lucky enough that um, Mac and I were both actually volunteering at the Pride Festival in downtown Atlanta, and he had said, you know, I think that this sort of group is going to get together at the library, that this is going to happen. And I was like, yes, this is what, that sounds so amazing, so fun, that we would be able to kind of really, like Mac said, either point out what we already have been doing in the system or really kind of make some suggestions about what we can be doing. And I just thought this would be so amazing and so fun. So that was why I wanted to join up and do it. Well, um, when I was living back in Illinois, I'd already done uh, some organizing for on in queer topics and activism for uh, transgender folks and whatnot. So, um, and as a queer person, this, I mean, when I saw that call, I was like, yes, I want to help with that. Um, I want to do more with that. So I, I kind of came about it from a different angle. <laughs> Well, I've been in the system for a long time, and I've seen a lot of changes here. And um, when I first saw the call for members for this team, I, I was very excited because um, this even 10 years ago, this is not something this library system would have ever even considered. You know, we've always been kind of a traditional, maybe some would say conservative system. And now I think we've moved into an area that uh, shows how we want to address the diversity of the community and the evolution of this system has been a great thing to see. And I wanted to uh, be a part of that. I came to this committee um, from both a professional and a personal point of view. I've been an educator for many years. Personally, uh, I address this as a mom. My daughter is gay, and that translates into for many years I've had um, kids in my home, I guess first tweens, then teens, then college students, and now young adults. And so I thought I had, they were all so courageous 
and I wanted to uh, represent them, and that's how I got here. Um, so initially, I was um, appointed, I guess you could say, as the liaison <laughs> to this team. Um, but when I saw that the call came out to um, to join, I initially thought it was really interesting, and it would be exciting to be a part of that. And you know, given that the collection is um, such a big part of how we support. Uh, diverse communities, it's great that we had a representative um, on the committee from materials, and it's been a real pleasure to work with this group. Well, and that's probably a good uh, transition into our next question, which is talking about what all you guys have been working on. It's been around less than a year, I think, right? The team has been around. Um, Amy, if you want to start maybe with that of what kind of stuff have you been looking at as far as collect from the collection mindset? Sure. Yeah, so some of the activities um, that we worked on as a committee in terms of the collection were um, looking at what we had in the collection um, initially that would um, fit the bill for uh, serving this community, and then also looking at materials that we maybe did not have in the collection that we needed to add. So the team's started a spreadsheet of materials and I worked with the selectors in the department to kind of identify um, what the best process for that would be. And then also um, some of the um, activities that we decided that we wanted to work on um, initially in terms of the collection were to make them more accessible. So um, the team has been working on tagging a lot of materials in the catalog to make those more accessible, given that the subject heading access and even the genre heading access for these materials in the catalog is not um, necessarily the best way to find them. Um, So that's been um, a, a great project as well. Um, so one of, one of the other things we were sort of working on is a, a sort of lip oh, guide. Can, can you start over? Oh, yeah. One of the other things uh, we were working on is a lip guide and providing online resources for folks. So um, Mark is the person that designed that. We all you know, help supplement some of that. So I didn't know if he wanted to mention something his work about that. Sure, sure. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, the lib guides, I think, we decided were going to be really important. Um, obviously for customers who want to find uh, resources in the community that could help them. But I think it'll also be a really good resource for the staff. I think staff uh, often get a lot of mileage out of our LibGuides, finding out things that maybe they weren't familiar with in, in certain areas that they weren't um, aware of. And so uh, we made a, a choice to make a LibGuide that was going to be really very basic but very informative. And there are, um, we've basically got things there that are about the community, resources in the community in all different areas from family and teens to uh, social services and health and uh, also to spotlight uh, some of our own resources and parts of our collection so that, uh, you know, I mean the library is the reason for the LibGuide so everything the library is doing as far as this uh, community is concerned will be a part of that LibGuide and I did just want to do a shout out to Amy and Materials and and us that I'm really proud because uh, last year I did a LGBTQ display, and it was okay. I, I didn't have a hard time finding items in the system, but this year I've started to do one for June, and the depth of that collection now and just how much we have covering all different parts of this community is really impressive, and it's it's kind of amazing that um, we have some of the things that I never thought we'd have, so I was really happy to see that. So, 
Yeah, and on that, uh, I'm really um, excited with the the recommendations that we, we set up for the catalog. Uh, we try to get old and new reflect kind of all different audiences. So we we all worked really hard to kind of uh, come up with a good list, and then of course, obviously, someone got them for us, which is fantastic. Um, and I think you already talked about the tagging and, and whatnot. I did want to mention one more thing about the uh, the lip guide resources, though. Is um, we did try to find for all LGBTQI, we, we um, whatever resources we could find, we put them up there. So if we if you have any more resources you'd like us to add, um, please send us some word, and we'll, we'll try to add those kind of things up there. And as we're talking about the collection and trying to serve customers, especially uh, from this community or people who are interested in it. You, if you've not spent a lot of time working with this, you may not realize that the vocabulary of what to search for can be really complicated, and that's why this tagging project was so important. Because if you search in our catalog, LGBT and GLBT will bring up different search results, as will gay and lesbian and trans and transgender brings up different results. A lot of the tagging work we were doing was to make sure that all of this stuff would surface as people were using the language that was most meaningful to them. And this is an area in gender and sexuality minorities where language constantly evolves, but we have our own internal controlled vocabulary that we're using to try to get the most out of this. And so you should start to see some of that, and sometimes you'll see it among the the recent tagged things at the bottom. Steve mentioned earlier that this was a team that hadn't been around for very long. I think our first meeting was the start of November, and the reason, uh, and then it formally concluded or went on hiatus pending leadership guidance in April with the idea that we would kind of put this burst of energy into this project, but that for the most part, we're almost all with the exception of the wonderful Amy in public services and summer gets absolutely crazy. And so to be able to kind of show a model of that you can do all of this in a short time period. And so how we would basically approach every month is we would have some sort of topic we would challenge or or we would investigate and so we did policies and then we did the collection and that went on for a month or two and then we did programming and outreach and potential partnerships and then we looked at internal staff things and what other library systems were doing and we would do kind of homework in between to get all of this work together and so uh, the team worked incredibly hard and so it's, it's really a credit that we were able to get so much done in such an abbreviated time frame. So this is this is a library podcast. So I don't feel bad going deeper on this. Mm-hmm. Um, on the cataloging end of things, is this all like inter- an internal thing? Like Mac was saying, and you were saying internal tagging stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. are LC subject headings or do we any help in this? Or are they kind of too far behind the times to keep up with this kind of thing? Yeah. So um, Library of Congress subject headings do have a formal process that they go through to change over time and they do adapt and um, authority records have uh, cross references in them to point users to other terms that they might be using. However, our catalog system and a lot of other catalog systems out there do not use those cross-references because the authority records are not present in the catalog. Um, so it's it, the tagging kind of gets around that. And I think as Max said, there's a, we, had, we developed a controlled vocabulary, so it was kind of our own internal one for the uh, online catalog that customers would be using. So we also try to standardize it kind of for them, for their use. So I think that's kind of what we're thinking. Well, and we explored a couple of options. So Amy mentioned that we could potentially have a local subject heading that was just something that we used that could go into a MARC record. 
and or that there are you know, maybe we could just become more aggressive about making sure that all of the real tags were, or all the real um, subject headings are on all of the records because oftentimes they're not complete or they're just a sampling of the things that could apply to these. But it really came down to if we wanted to be able to describe people in the terms that they used to describe themselves, that's not something that is going to move fast enough in a catalog. And so this whole tagging work that anybody can take on uh, is something that's out there. So, I mean, if you are so inclined out there, you can go in and tag works, and it doesn't just help us, but you're contributing to the broader library community. Any library system that has Biblio Commons will now surface these materials better because of this work. Thank you. Um, so, I think you've all kind of spoke around our next question um, about how the average staff member can help the team because you talked about language and vocabulary and the collection, but what can your average staff member do if they're not a part of the team? I think specifically at my branch, we do have a lot of teenagers that come in, middle schoolers and teenagers. So we have all of these young kids who are in and they may want to search for, you know, lack of a better term, and learn more about themselves, figure out what they're going through. So I think for regular staff, just kind of being aware what's coming out, being aware what's being published. Because, I mean, granted, we have a large system and we have so many items that are being ordered because of our wonderful materials department, but we do have so many that it is a lot to, to look at, but maybe just kind of keep keep an eye on and maybe say, you know, because we have books that are now being published with asexual characters and intersex characters and, you know, gender queer characters. And that wasn't there even a few years ago. So I think just staff being a little bit more aware of what's being published is would be able to help these kids say like, oh, this is how I identify. And here's this character like I can learn more about myself and I feel represented because this is there. So that I think is just one a little way that people can help out. Um, I would also suggest um, supporting anyone that's doing LGBTQ programming, seeing if you can help out with them. Um, also, you could develop some of your own. There's um, LGBTQ History Month, um, so you, you can just look up historical things on that. I mean, even if you don't, if you're concerned that you don't know that much, you, you could learn more. You could research, and there's some topics. Um, you can work in with someone else. The two of you are kind of working together, learning some stuff, and then putting out something. So um, just kind of being creative and supporting as well other folks that are kind of doing this kind of work too around you i think uh also going back to the live guides that i talked about before uh, i think it's a great um kind of passive training resource for staff in terms of uh, what's out there what's uh what's popular in the community and what's kind of essential reading in the community when that goes live i think it'll be a good resource to um, help staff uh help customers and and just to uh, add to what Drew was saying, the reader's advisory aspect of this is pretty important. And one of the hallmarks of reader's advisory, I think, is kind of becoming familiar in areas that you're not familiar with, getting to know authors, books, and uh, different themes of uh, in areas that you are not well-read in. And this would help people, uh, I think, staff feel more comfortable in helping customers in this area as well. Any gender and sexuality minority is going to be, in a lot of ways, an invisible community. And so there's no way of knowing if somebody identifies as part of one of these communities or not, both with our customer base, with our coworkers, with anybody that we may encounter. And so just recognizing that this is something that we all work with, that this is a community that we are all dealing with, 
I would almost guarantee you on a daily basis, you know, marks it as an area that we need to, to focus on and remember is just as important as a lot of the other things that we're doing. And that the audience for these materials isn't just people who identify as part of the community, but their friends, their allies, people who want more information. Uh, there's a lot of really great stuff out there. Uh, we've especially done a, a, or the system has done a pretty good job of increasing the amount of materials available and appropriate for children. And so, you know, as children are approaching a world that is a lot more diverse and has a lot more different things in it, we have resources to offer people to talk about diversity or families that are different or the history of LGBTQ culture or things like that. And so I think that that's something that some people may not realize that we have at our disposal now that we didn't used to. And so that's something you can really put to use. And on that, I guess I would go back to my point about the programming. Um, Exactly that. Um, We have some more resources, and it's kind of important if you want to help support other um, folks in the community as well as maybe queer staff members, is to not make them have to do all the programming or come up with all the ideas for things. And that's why I was saying either helping, supporting them, helping them with what they're doing, or coming up with your own ideas. Um, if Just if you're trying. Because, I mean, sometimes we, we all do end caps that we're not – it's from one of our sections we're in charge of, but that's maybe not our area of spe- – maybe gardening is not your specialty area, but you may still do something on gardening. You're still trying. You're still – you know. So the same type of thing would go. So I would just also – don't just expect that maybe the queer staff or queer customers will come up and talk to you about what they want. Kind of probably be proactive, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a good point of the staff who are not part of this community doesn't mean we don't support the community and we don't – you don't have to do that to do a program. You don't have to do to be part of this community to read books about. I mean, it's like saying, oh, I don't read books about African-American characters because I'm white. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and you have to know that collection. You have to know people who like to disparage romance. Well, you have to know the romance section because that's a huge section. And same thing. Just every section in the library you have to know something about. That's just part of being a, lot, a good library staff member. So, But on that topic, um, we did want to kind of get – uh, feeling from you guys if you have recommendations for books um, either kind of whatever you've been reading that you have been enjoying um, particularly if you have books that have LGBTQ themes or characters or if not feel free to just throw anything else out but as part of that educating staff on things that they should be reading so let's say they listen to this and say well that's a great idea I should read that what should they read we can't all just read Heather has two mommies yeah. <laughs> everybody knows that title but <laughs> I have two suggestions um, or recommendations for books. They're both from the young adult section. I read a lot of young adult. And the first one is Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe, which I just feel some sort of way about. It, it. The author writes beautifully. Everything I've read by him is amazing. I would suggest anything by that author. But Aristotle and Dante is absolutely beautiful. And then my other suggestion is... Um, and actually, I lied. The second one is an adult fi- is an adult fiction, and it's called Perfect Rhythm. And this is actually the first time I've seen a book where it's actually a lesbian couple, but one is asexual. And so it's really an interesting dynamic, and that kind of spoke to me directly. And I was very interested, and it was a pretty sweet little book. So those are my two recommendations within this topic. Uh, I do think graphic novels are kind of on the cutting edge for writing in this community, both for writers and for readers. Uh, Just the one I'll throw out there is an older one, but it's called Fun Home by Alison Bechdel, and uh, it is a great read. And it 
It's been around for about 10 years, and we only just got it in the last couple of years, which is another shout-out to Amy, I guess. And uh, I just want to say, speaking as, uh, unfortunately, I think I'm an elder in this community, but uh, (laughs) I do think you should uh, look into biographies of a lot of the kind of cultural giants of this community, like if you read about Gertrude Stein or Truman Capote, James Baldwin, these are writers that had a great impact on the world that they lived in, and especially in the LGBTQ community. And uh, those biographies can give you a lot of insight into how things were and how far we've come today. Um, To add on to graphic novels, I love graphic novels. I read them frequently, and I can speak to Marvel that they are that series um the everything by marvel is incredibly diverse um one of the series loki of asgard loki in the comics as canon is a genderqueer character loki is able to shapeshift and in some of the comics he does appear as a, or she does appear as a woman and in some he appears as a man and it's a lot of the characters you have america chavez who is a lesbian and has her girlfriends in the comic books and unfortunately breaks up with her girlfriend in the first episode but there are so many wonderful characters Oh, Catwoman in the DC um, comics, uh, in the newer ones, she is also identifies as queer, and it's just so many wonderful characters that you may be able to find representation in those graphic novels, and they've come such an, a, a far away, along with Fun Home, which is a nonfiction. The other, some of the fiction, you'll find amazing representation. I think a good place for staff to begin if they are, are interested in helping is the teen nonfiction section, because in, in our branch, that's where I see the most browsing, and um, a lot of the the teens that I see browsing there are, are uncomfortable, and it's a good place for staff to be open and welcoming and also aware because they're not going to send you a signal, but they look distraught, you know. And uh, it's just a good place to begin so you can learn about the movement. Okay, so I had, um, I guess I'll touch on a couple folks. Uh, so I had a manga and it was actually came out of um, Max's collection that he was reading for the ALA. It was excellent. It's called After Hours. It's by Yucha Nishio. Um, and it's about, um, so I'm a DJ. I uh, have been for many, many decades. But um, So it's about a DJ, but it's about uh, one girl that shows up to a club. She meets another woman, and um, they hit it off. And it's very, very cute, and it's actually really represents very well the late night scene. Hence why I guess it's called After Hours, right? So it's only about three. There's only three volumes of the whole set, but it's really good. So that's teen. I'd say for um, adult fiction, I'd say Lynn Fuelling's, it's an older series, Luck in the Shadows series, and there's a Tamar trilogy. The Tamar trilogy has gender, queer, and there's someone whose sex changes through magic and other stuff, and she goes from living as a, a girl to a boy, or a boy to a girl. It's um, And then Luck in the Shadows has um, two men that uh, are in a relationship, so there's kind of two different types of queer type of um, relationships to bodies and, and each other and that. And for nonfiction, since we're talking nonfiction, <laughs> uh, I like Julio Capo's, which is also part of um, uh, Max's collection, but I already know knew about the work beforehand. It's won a, a lot of awards recently, but it's just good. Welcome to Fairyland, Queer Miami Before 1941. So that's Julio Capo. So that's just an excellent work if you want to get an idea of Southern culture and the development of, of queer culture in the, in the South and whatnot. I read a lot of things in our, I guess it's called the sci-fi fan uh, section now, or our sci-fi fantasy speculative fiction area. And over the last couple of years, 
there has really been a renaissance in gender and sexuality minorities showing up uh, in these books or as being authors of these books. So there's a couple of things that we have in the collection here that I think are really good examples of uh, people who are not on the gender binary as a way of kind of exploring this and thinking about what it might look like in a culture where this wasn't so entrenched. So uh, Yoon Ha Lee, who's a, he's an American author, I believe he's a trans man, uh, he wrote the Nine Fox Gambit trilogy, and so it's a sci-fi in space, but it has a lot of gender nonconformity. Uh, N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy, which had won literally every award under the sun, has a lot of uh, gender sexuality minority characters. And then the works of Anne Leckie. She wrote the Ancillary Justice series. Uh, her She had a book that came out last year that I just finished called Provenance. And basically the whole book is a kind of exploration in how people's gender changes based on context and circumstance. And so it uses a lot of non-standard pronouns. And so it kind of gets you used to it. I listened to it in audiobook, and that was a great way of kind of exploring that, like, these things don't have to be things you trip over. They can just be things that are part of the world. And so, but there are, there are so many more great examples, especially anything coming out of the YA world where probably teen was on the forefront of LGBTQ literature really coming around, but the, you know, the, the grownups are starting to catch up a little bit. <laughs> um, another one I wanted to add was that um, in this sci-fi fan <laughs> is, I, I almost hate to say it because it's going to spoil part of it, but uh, John Scalzi's lock-in. The whole book, you just read it and you don't think about it. The main character is Chris and they go into a robot body and in and out. Nowhere in the novel is the character gendered. So there's no gendered pronouns at all. And Chris is one of those names, even just that commonly can be either one. So you get to the end and you don't really realize that you've never, it's whatever you put it in your head as what that character is in their human form. And when they're in their little robot body, it doesn't matter because they're in the robot body. But it's interesting. And they even did two audiobook versions where they did a male reading and a female reading. So oh, it's, really it's kind of interesting. It was Will Wheaton and somebody else. I can't remember who the other person was that read it. But. I'll share one of my recs, which is also YA, because YA is just, yeah. It's Every Day by David Leviathan. And it was one of those books that was really eye-opening to me. I read it when it first came out. I don't think I was even working for the system yet. And the main character is A. And, you know, like some other books... A wakes up in a new body every day. And um, so A can be a young man, A can be an older woman. And it kind of reminded me of, what was that show, Quantum Leap? <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but you never figure out what A is. And I don't want to ruin the book, but A falls in love with someone. And it was a really good way for someone who is not on the queer spectrum to look at love in a completely different way and context. And I really liked that that book made you actually look at like what was the person because no matter what body A woke up in, A was always A. And so I really appreciated that book for kind of like making me experience. And like they said, that's what books are supposed to do, give you empathy, have you experience the world through someone else's eyes. So. I really love that book and recommend it to both adults and teens alike. So I jokingly started the discussion with the Heather has two mommies thing, but that's the sort of the classic old, always getting challenged book. Does anybody have recommendations for other children's books? This, I have one, it's a juvenile, so it's going to be, you know, up to like fifth grade or so. And I apologize if I'm going to knock anybody else's suggestion, but the book George is 
just so incredibly sweet. George is transgender and I believe wants to go by the name Melissa, I believe is what she, that's what she has chosen for her real name. Um, I believe it starts with an M, but it is just, it's a quick read if you are an adult. Um, I don't know for how long it would take for what level it is on a lexicon or the ABCs, I know, the ABC level I know they do in schools down here. I'm unsure that, but it is just such a sweet book and Melissa is just so earnest and I apologize if I've gotten that name wrong, but it really is just the sweetest book and I do suggest everyone to read it. Yes, um, by Alex Gino. Um, and they have another book that they've written that's called You Don't Know Everything, Susie Q. And I believe that one of the characters is hearing impaired or hard of hearing. And that would is um, another really great book. But George, definitely. And so we also have a number of picture books that have been recently added to the collection that you can suggest to people. So we've got Rainbow, a first book of pride that kind of looks at the rainbow flag and the symbol there. And that's by Michael Genhart. Uh, we've got Prince and Knight, which is a, a retelling of a, a fairy tale uh, as well. And I believe there was another one that came out uh, last year, year before. It's called Happily Ever After, and it's about you know, a princess that gets saved by another woman, and they live happily ever after. Um, but you're seeing more and more children's books where the, the queer content is in the background. So there's a super cute picture book that I read about a month ago called Harriet Gets Carried Away. It's about a little girl who dresses up as a penguin and ends up at the South Pole. And it's only gay because she has two dads, you know, and they're in like the first four pages and like the last four pages. And the rest of the time, she's in a penguin outfit at the South Pole trying to get home. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've seen this. There's there's one with some dogs that are, are shadowing their their gay parents as they go on vacation to take care of them. And so it, it you do have some stuff that is more explicit, but you're seeing more diversity-oriented stuff. Um, Worm Loves Worm by J.J. Ostrand is also a pretty good one uh, that's out there. And to, to kind of go with classics, probably the other classic next to Heather Has Two Mommies is Antango Makes Three, which is a lovely story about two male penguins that adopted a, a baby at the zoo. And um, there are some lovely audiobook versions of it online. It is also among the most challenged materials uh, that, that libraries have seen in the last couple of decades. There's one more small thing that I wanted to say about like when suggesting items in the collection to, uh, to queer people especially, and that is that a lot of the things that are classics or that might be older, um, there's a lot of queer tragedies out there where people end up dying or sick or maimed or all sorts of things because of of who they are in their lifestyle. And while there certainly is a history of this, you know, I mean, people are subjects of violence, the AIDS crisis, there's a lot of this stuff that is historically relevant. There are lots of happy ending stories out there too. And so like, I, I know that I have friends and colleagues who they just flat out don't read queer tragedies anymore. And so that's, uh, but that's just something to kind of be aware of. And as you review materials, something, sometimes they'll leave things out. We, the, the, picture books we have about Harvey Milk don't mention the fact that he was murdered in his office or they kind of move past that because that's not the broader point they're trying to make um, and so that's that's just something that I wanted to to point out there is when it comes to the collection of materials there is about a, a bit of a rough history in there but it doesn't have to be that way today because it is a brighter day 
I just want to say that I, when I started a little over a year ago, I looked for some books for myself and I've been a bit disappointed. We had some things in the catalog, but not some of the things I was looking for and whatever. And then not so long afterwards, this thing starts popping up and I'm like, this is wonderful. So um, for other folks that haven't been here too long, there's things moving there. They're keeping things moving, coming up with new ideas. Uh, Max talked about the diversity thing before. Um, so uh, it's kind of exciting times, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and also if younger staff have ideas about work groups or something, voice them. Um, that's kind of how this thing got come, going around. So maybe you could get something going around too. Something that I like to consistently think just in the broader system that we're in, if Gwinnett is anything, it is change. And I know that sometimes we are busy or sometimes it feels like there's no way that we can possibly evolve as fast as we want to evolve. But I just try to remind myself that the only way that we're ever going to get any better or anything's going to get better is changing. Because if we don't change, where we are is as good as it's ever going to be. And I don't think that anybody who works here or anybody in the library world in general is satisfied with where we are. You know, we've, we've made a lot of progress, but we have so much further and so much more capability in us. Well, thank you everyone for coming and sharing your experiences and the work that the LGBTQ plus team is doing. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.